Good morning. Thank you for uh, that really enthusiastic reading of that passage, Alison. That was great. Just as uh, Matt said earlier, in modern times, really death, speaking about death, has become quite a taboo subject. And mourning also doesn't have the formalised structure that it used to have when people really knew how to respond when a relative had died or someone in the street had passed away. But strangely, uh, both death and mourning have been in the news this week. It was only last weekend that the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral took place in Windsor. And we've been made aware this week that the Queen is in a period of mourning. She didn't celebrate her birthday in the normal way during the week. And there is obviously a set sequence of events that will be followed. But also in the news this week, we've had from the United States the trial of Derek Chauvin. And he was proved guilty of that unlawful death of George Floyd last year. A death that's been mourned in various ways around the world because of the awful circumstances of it. And this all took me back to another April, April 1968. There was an announcement of a death that rocked many of us from around the world. It was that of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who'd been assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. He was a Baptist minister, a leader of the American Civil Rights Movement, probably their most well-known spokesperson. And he was a winner of the Nobel Peace Prize for what he was doing. But suddenly his life was taken. It was a terrible shock. And over and over on the TV and radio, they played the speech that he'd made just the night before he was killed. This is just part of it. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. When Dr. King spoke of going to the mountaintop and seeing the promised land, we don't know whether God had given him some fresh vision or a dream or confirmed in some way, in uh, some special way, uh, his faith that in the Lord Jesus Christ, who had always promised him a future life in uh, the promised land where Jesus would rule, a life where there would be no crime, no racism, no injustice of any kind. And the speech went around the world because of the circumstances of the death. But we can be sure that the picture of life after death had actually been a certainty for Martin Luther King for a long time, because it is a basic of the Christian faith to which he held. And it has been a basic belief since the beginning of Christianity more than 2000 years ago. So today we are speaking about death. Um, please don't switch off. 
specifically that death has been defeated. And we're doing that using Paul's teaching and the explanation he gave to that young church in Corinth. One commentator has said that this chapter, chapter 15, is the definitive teaching on the early church about death and the victory of the cross. So the whole chapter is actually worth reading in the week because it has a fundamental truth for our faith. But we're going to look now at verses uh, 50 to 58, and they conveniently divide into three time frames, past, future and present. So uh, sit back, uh, choose your favourite time travelling device, the TARDIS or whatever, because we're going back first into the past. And the first thing that is said right at uh, the beginning of these verses in verse 50 is, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, or what I'm saying, it says in other versions, is a way, this is a way of Paul emphasising to his readers that what he's on about in this chapter is really, really important. If you go back to the start of the chapter, Paul makes it clear that this teaching is part of the core gospel of the early church. Paul isn't giving us um, some views that he's worked out by himself uh, or considered for a long, long time. But he tells us that he's passing on what he has himself received. And it's what was the traditional teaching from the beginning of Christianity when Peter and John and other disciples who had witnessed the death and the resurrection of Jesus and were with him then in the resurrection appearances. It's what they had been teaching that death had been defeated all the way from the very beginning of spreading the good news about Jesus. Maybe it's what uh, Jesus had explained to Paul directly when he met him on the Damascus Road and spent time preparing him to go out and to start those churches all around the Mediterranean. So who were the brothers and sisters in this particular letter? Well, it's people in the young church in Corinth. And Corinth was a really uh, cosmopolitan city, uh, Greek, uh, the trading port for Athens, and now in those times, a, a Roman uh, trading place. And it was regarded as quite a rough place. It was the biggest city that Paul had visited at that time, and he travelled there alone. And it's not surprising that Paul went there with some fear and trembling, knowing its reputation. But he stayed there for 18 months. And although it was hard in the beginning, he writes of the various encouragements that God gave him during that time. And the church grew fast. And Paul did have precious memories of the brothers and sisters there. But he left and went to another place. And 
after he left, other influences seemed to come in. Maybe some people didn't believe in resurrection at all. That's actually quite common today, isn't it? Maybe some people were picking up the classical Greek view that only the spirit of the person went on after death. So Paul found the need to write to them when he heard about this only a couple of years after he'd left. So what we're reading is a really early letter of Paul's, about 54 AD, giving this wonderful argument that since Jesus had died and had a resurrected body when he returned to heaven, we would all follow in the same way. What they needed to know was that they would rise like Jesus had done. And if you if you read through the entire chapter this week, you'll find that Paul wrote he, meaning Jesus, has risen seven times in this one chapter. And every time it's written, the the uh, grammar of it expresses it as a completed once and for all act. Jesus has written, risen. Christ had the victory over death. So Paul spells out in detail through this chapter that the Corinthians who would follow it, who were following Jesus, would also rise after their deaths with their own resurrected bodies in his perfect kingdom. So we need to move forward to the future. And Looking at verses 50 to 56, we're just going to think, along with Paul, forward to the times after our own deaths. I don't think it can be just me that's thought about what my resurrected body might be like. Uh, will I be uh, a slimmer, younger, more agile version of myself, uh, less lines on the face and smoother skin all over? And yet, still me in some way. Well, here is the answer in these verses. We shall have transformed bodies. Paul reveals what he calls the mystery in verse 51. We are going to have the transformed bodies. He writes about this earlier in the chapter and he summarises it again in verse 53. The perishable body, the one that is aging with the aching backs, perhaps illnesses like diabetes or struggles with various viral attacks, cancer and other illnesses. These perishable bodies will be transformed into imperishable bodies fit for eternal purpose, ones that will never age, never be ill. On the contrary, they're going to be immortal. So we can leave our present bodies buried or cremated at death because we are going to get new ones. As uh, Matt mentioned uh, in that wonderful um, final chapter of John's revelation that uh, we read, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The future will all be new. 
I suspect I hear you saying that it's all still quite a mystery. And like with so many of the mysteries of the Christian faith, and yes, there are many, I can only suggest that we consider Jesus. If you think after the resurrection of Jesus about him and his body, we remember that first of all, um, it was Mary Magdalene who met the risen Christ. And she didn't instantly recognise Jesus with his new resurrected body. But when Jesus spoke her name, Mary, then she knew who it was for sure. And later on that same day, uh, with the two men on the road to Emmaus, distressed at what had been going on in Jerusalem, when Jesus walked alongside them, and had a conversation, a really extended conversation with them, they didn't realise who he was. It was only when they got to his home and they sat at the table and they saw him in the familiar act of breaking bread, blessing it, they knew through that familiar act it was Jesus. And even that core group of disciples in that upper closed room where Jesus appeared to them on that first Easter Sunday, they were terrified. They were afraid at who this person in their midst was until he said, peace be with you. And he showed his hands and his side with the wounds and they immediately knew it was their Lord. And just some days later, on the Sea of Galilee, you remember the, the disciples who were fishermen. They were out there fishing, not catching anything. And there was a man on the beach that they didn't recognise. And it was only when Jesus, that man, told them to cast out the net on the other side, something that he'd said to them before, that they realised who it was. And they realised when he invited them to share um, food that morning uh, on the beach, the barbecue that he prepared, that indeed he was their Lord and Saviour, Jesus. So it does seem that there will be something different about our appearance. The Duke of Edinburgh may be looking more like that handsome young naval officer we see in the photos. But the way we engage in relationships, something about the essence of ourselves will be recognisable. And this transformation, it says, is going to happen in the blink of an eye. It's going to be instantaneous. And there's another good piece of news about the future here in verse 52. It is that Jesus will return to earth to reign. Because the same transformation of the body that's going to take place for followers of Jesus um, going to heaven will also take place for those who are still here when he returns to earth. So Jesus again makes it clear that he is going to return again to earth in glory. And uh, Paul explains more of that in when he writes to the Thessalonians, saying that when Jesus returns to earth again, those 
that have already been raised with him in heaven with their new bodies will also return to earth and will meet his followers who are still alive on earth. And Paul makes it clear that they too will have transformed bodies. That is going to be an amazing mind-blowing day. You may think that I'm going slightly crazy getting excited about death this morning, especially when most of the time we do go to great lengths to stay alive. Um, Just this week, um, I've had my vaccination, my second vaccination, and I am extremely grateful for that and the protection against COVID-19 that I know it will be giving me. Just this week, I have continued praying along with uh, people in our uh, life group and many other people for folks who need healing, some who are very ill, and we are praying that God will restore them and that they will indeed enjoy life on earth for longer. But I hope that reading this this morning, um, you can begin to understand why Paul was so excited and why C.S. Lewis, um, one of our great Christian writers, wrote in his book, The Last Battle, uh, death is only the beginning of the real story, which goes on and on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. So what else do we know about the future? Well, we know there is certainty that there will be life in the presence of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus had already promised his disciples that he would prepare places for them in heaven. And if you remember, even on the cross, Jesus had told that thief, alongside him being crucified, that that day he would join him in paradise. And again, in that wonderful uh, chapter at the end of Revelation, we read, God himself will be with them and dwell with them. And what a time it's going to be. All the bad things that we experience now will have gone. We shall live in a kingdom where love completely replaces hate, where corruption is replaced by justice, where everyone is valued by God. And that's not because of what they've done, but because Jesus has presented them to Father God, presented them holy and pure through what he has done on the cross. They are there by grace. And This will happen to all who die in Christ, as Paul puts it, all followers of Jesus in an instant when the trumpet sounds. If you've heard uh, a chauffeur played at a Jewish festival, you'll know how amazing that is. And it is going to be an amazing moment. And Paul is so excited writing here that we see he breaks into song in verse 55, having said that, When, not if, but when our bodies are transformed into our new non-destructible heavenly bodies, he sings, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? 
Where, O oh death, is your sting? Picking up those words from Isaiah and Hosea that Paul would have known well, this probably became the Easter song of the early church. You might recognise the words from singing Handel's Messiah. And the essence of it was there in that beautiful, beautiful song that we heard from um, Mig and, and Rath a bit earlier. And Paul goes on to explain what the sting is in uh, that verse. It's not death itself that's the sting. Death is a natural thing that comes to all of us. Uh, when, when Paul was writing to the Philippians, he spoke about death as passing out of this life into the presence of the Lord. He spoke of it as a gain and not a loss. And he actually said he wasn't sure because of that whether he wanted to live or die. It was a conundrum for him. I've always been in awe that he could say that. But Paul does also write about a different death, a death died by a person who is caught up by sin. And the sting here is not the death, but the sin. And Paul puts it elsewhere, the wages of sin is death. And there is an element of a living death for the wrongdoers here, as well as what is ahead of them. So that takes us back to the present. We need to go into our time traveling machine again and to consider how we need to respond in the present. And the first thing is a certainty that our sin can be overcome. We see there in verses 56 and 57, the sting of death does not have to daunt us. Jesus' action in going on the cross on that historic day was not only that Jesus would be able to present us as holy, sinless people to Father God in heaven, but that he's paid the price for our sins right now. Now, that's been mentioned in the last two sermons in this series, and I'm sure it will be mentioned again. But Jesus has already provided the means of our forgiveness in the cross. In that moment, God snatched victory out of defeat, life out of death and hope out of despair. And we only have to come to him right now this morning or whenever you're listening to this service to invite him into our hearts to ask for forgiveness and it will be granted. The slate will be wiped clean. We should be set on our feet for a life with God. And Paul adds here um, when he says that trying to keep the law, and he, he was talking about those 600 odd detailed Jewish laws of the day, that trying to keep those just made things worse. People were caught up in the, the letter of the law, trying to score points even, and they had lost the spirit of the law, what God really wanted them to do. But, and commentators say this is one of the great buts in the Bible, uh, but because Christ is victorious over death, he has replaced the reign of law and sin by the reign of grace. 
Not only are we given a fresh start in life, but God provides us with the means to continue living our lives in God's way. And it is so much better way than our own. Jesus's death and resurrection brought us into the new covenant with God, where God himself lives with us. And that is because he has sent the Holy Spirit. And God's law of right and wrong has been put right there in our hearts by the Spirit. So God is with us all the time, helping us to do the right things in our personal lives, in our relationships, our communities, in our jobs, even in our hobbies. And of course we get it wrong sometimes. Of course we mess up. But we do only have to go back and say sorry. And Jesus makes it all right again. So coming to the end of this passage in verse 58, there are two really important things that we need to stick with today. And the first is, in my words, to hang on, hang in there and trust Jesus. Paul puts it, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Paul already had plenty of experience of tough times when he wrote this verse, and yet he could say, stand firm. Behind me on the wall where I'm sitting right now is a framed picture that's really special to us, and, and I will show it to you in a minute. It was painted by my cousin's husband, Arthur. Arthur was a vicar, but he was also a trained artist. And early in 2006, uh, when he was aged 61, he discovered that his cancer was terminal and that his death was could be anticipated in a matter of months. So during Lent that year, some of his congregation asked him uh, to um, run a course um, so that they could do some painting together. And that's what he did. And so he started this picture. And I'm told that to begin with, it was dark and gloomy. But as Easter approached, so did new insight of what was coming for him. All that he'd preached to others over the years about rising with Christ really went into his heart. And the outcome was that lots more oil paint went over the original and this glorious picture was produced. It was his last. He died in June that year. He died on a day when I'd actually been able to visit in the afternoon. And he'd wanted that we toasted his future together. We had to do it with his favourite homemade apple wine. But that was what he wanted to do. Don't mishear me. We all grieved Arthur's loss uh, to the family. And he still missed. But God was faithful to him to the end. And we are sure that we shall meet him again. Whatever our circumstances, we are urged 
here to stand firm in the truth about death. For Christians, it's not the end. It's a transition to a wonderful new life. And the final instruction is to share the gospel enthusiastically. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, Paul says, or in another version, always be enthusiastic about the Lord's work. About 12 years ago, I, I was delighted to spend some uh, time in, in Ewan's old church, Winchester Baptist, where a lady called Liz had been taken on to do work with elderly people in the community. And she was running a, a wonderful course with, for about uh, 10 weeks, I think, with a group of elderly people. She, she did it a number of times. And it was to help them look at what death as a Christian meant. She developed the course based on the story of Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. If you remember, it's the story of a man called Christian, who was meant to represent any of us, really, as he travels from his home, the city of destruction. And Christian seeks to rid himself of a terrible burden, which we come to understand as the, the weight of sin. And he learns God's grace in forgiving him. Now, Christian still met many obstacles on the way, but he received help that he needed at each stage. And eventually we see him coming to the end of his journey, which when he sees the celestial city and he's welcomed in. It's an old story, but it does still have an important message for us. So may I end where I began uh, mentioning the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral. If you watch the service on TV, then you may have spotted that the first words of scripture, a verse used near the beginning of the service, were words of Jesus from John 11. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And that verse was actually repeated again because the gospel reading during the service included it from John 11, that account of Jesus's conversation with Martha following the death of Lazarus. So I would just like to leave you with that verse and it will come up expressed as a paraphrase as we read it in the message. It says, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing future that you promise us, living with you forever. Thank you that Jesus 
is the resurrection and the life for us today as well. Please fill us again with your Holy Spirit so that we can live for you, whatever you call us to do day by day right now. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.